Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to City of God. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Stephen Lawson. He is president and founder of One Passion Ministries. He uh, leads the D-Men program at Master Seminary. He's a teaching fellow for Ligonier, prolific author, longtime pastor, uh, a man who is known to those who love expository preaching, who love sound doctrine, who love Reformed theology. Uh, I've learned a lot from Dr. Lawson, his ministry. I hugely appreciate it. It's a tremendous honor to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Owen. I love being here with you. Well, I, I want to talk to you today about two things. Um, first, what a theological ministry is, and then secondly, I just want to dive a little bit into your own background and ministry. You, uh, when I look over your bio, um, you are doing all sorts of things. I think they all boil down to one common factor. You you believe in theological ministry. Yes. Uh, is that true of you? A- absolutely, that's true. Um, it's hard to know where to even begin mm-hmm. with an answer on that. We are commanded to teach sound doctrine. Uh, we are to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Mm. Uh, there is from cover to cover in the Bible um, one body of divinity, one body of truth mm. that is taught in Scripture. There's one diagnosis of the human dilemma, one remedy, one plan of salvation, one path of personal holiness, one design for the family, one consummation of the age. Uh, there is a body of theology. By that, we mean sound doctrine Mm -hmm. that is taught from cover to cover in the Bible, and it should emerge from the text of Scripture. It's not merely philosophical, though there is a Christian philosophy, but it's to be rooted and grounded in the exegesis of passages of Scripture and then networked together uh, such that there is one body of truth that is taught in Scripture. There's 10 areas of systematic theology. And as we come to a passage, we are to be, like Martin Lloyd-Jones said, uh, our preaching should be theology on fire. So we always find the doctrine that's being taught in a passage of Scripture, and it has to be connected with what the rest of the Bible teaches about that doctrine. Mm-hmm. So we never read the rest of the Bible through the lens of one verse. We always read one verse in light of the entire rest of the Bible. Oh, so. Um, so it's known as the analogia scriptura, the analogy of Scripture. Um, and so um, we're to be theological expositors, uh, always extracting the theology that's in a passage of Scripture. And it has to emerge out of a passage of Scripture. So, uh, sorry for the rambling answer, but that's really kind of a launching point on that, and it's known as uh, the Apostles' teaching. It's known as that form of teaching to which you were committed. Uh, There's many different ways it's expressed in the Scripture itself, but that is the theology that we believe, that we preach, that we teach. And, of course, theology is the study of God. But because God is so immense, it overlaps with every other area of theology. Mm-hmm. Now, 
That was marvelous. There's nothing to apologize for. That was exactly what I was going for. You and I uh, would say this is almost a basic understanding of what the Scripture is teaching us. In other words, of course we should have a theological ministry. That's that's par for the course. And, and listening to you talk and sum that up so eloquently, it, it, it would strike me that, you know, no one could really argue with that or have a different understanding of ministry. But here's the thing. People do have a different understanding of ministry. <laughs> Not everybody <laughs> adheres to that kind of theologically driven and defined ministry. Let me give you an example. I just engaged Andy Stanley's new book, Irresistible, in which he essentially says mm. we need a new apologetic for the church. I'm really condensing here. And that apologetic is this. Just lop off the Old Testament from your evangelistic witness, your engagement with non-Christians, and you'll do fine because then you leave all those tricky ethics and theological ideas. You have this vengeful, wrathful God. It's Marcionite stuff, really, uh, basically, that we're hearing. And and what Stanley then drives at is a kind of uh, ministry to younger people that is very love-oriented, feelings-oriented. He's, he's grounding it in the resurrection, but, but he's doing a lot of work there. That's not something new. There's a ton of youth in America who have been trained in youth ministries or not trained really, where they're entertained on a weekly basis, not everybody believes in <laughs> robustly theological ministry. What would you say to all that? Well, I would say any ministry that is not engaged in robust theology is on a path of departure that will end up being heretical and blasphemous. And I choose my words very carefully. Um, anyone who denigrates sound doctrine and systematic theology, biblical theology, is someone who is so adrift from the Word of God that I fear for that person. Uh, to say that the Bible gets in the way of what, how we reach people um, is, is absolutely ludicrous. And so um, there are so many today who just want a practical theology, a feel-good theology that is divorced from truth, and that there is no practical theology without there first being biblical, systematic theology that is rooted and grounded in texts of Scripture. Only then can we show the relevance of the truth, and only then can we show how it's to be lived out in someone's life. But if you just go straight to the practical and totally bypass orthodoxy, then you really have built your house upon sand. Uh, it has no firm place to stand whatsoever. So, um, yes, there is a trend among many in the 20s and 30s today that theology is almost like a speed bump that's in our way from being able to get to the practical. Um, there is no practical apart from uh, biblical systematic theology. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. I mean, I'll sometimes hear somebody say, I'm not really into theology. And what they mean is, I guess, if I'm trying to understand high-level um, textbook academic theology. Okay, not everybody loves that. Not everybody <laughs> wants to pick that up, the newest monograph, you know, and read that. But if they follow that up with something like, I'm into, you know, missions or counseling or something like that, I find that really interesting because – Who's more theological than a missionary? <laughs> sure. Your whole life is oriented around Christ. You're, you're leaving cable TV or whatever it is, the creature comforts of home, nearness to your family, whatever it may be that you leave in order to tell people 
about the crucified and resurrected Son of God. Yeah, you have no message without <laughs> theology. Right. Um, before R.C. Sproul passed away and went to glory, he wrote a book entitled Everyone's a Theologian. Mm-hmm. And that's really true. Uh, either you're a good theologian or you're a bad theologian. Either you're a shallow theologian or you are a profound theologian, mm-hmm. but you have an understanding in your mind of who you think God is. Yes. Now, it may be drawn from the wells of Scripture, or it may just be invented in your imagination, but you have a concept of who God is. And just to quote A.W. Tozier again, the most important thing about you Mm. is what comes into your mind when you think of God, close quote. Now, you can't get around that boulder. You tell me what you believe about God, and I'll tell you everything else about your life. Uh, I'll tell you the path you're on. I'll tell you the worship. I'll tell you your, your, your daily walk. It all emanates out of a theocentric understanding of who God is. And so everyone's a theologian. Um, he, he, even an atheist is a theologian in the sense he, he has to deny certain mm-hmm. truths about God and the existence of God. So if for someone to say, well, I'm just a counselor, but I'm not a theologian, that, that is ludicrous. You cannot even be a believer in mm-hmm. Jesus Christ without being a theologian. You have to believe certain basic cardinal doctrines that you're a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. Mm-hmm. That's theology. You have to believe in the humanity and the deity of Christ. You have to believe in the resurrection of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to believe in the sinless life of Christ in order to be a true believer. That's all based upon theology, sound doctrine. Mm-hmm. So you can't even enter into the kingdom of heaven without believing certain cardinal truths about who Jesus Christ is and who you are and who God is. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that essential. It, it's not secondary. It, it's, it, it's primary. It's at the very heart of Christianity. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, mm-hmm. and the life. The church is to be the pillar and support of the truth. Mm-hmm. That's all theology is, is the truth about God and the truth about Christ and the Holy Spirit and angels and man and sin and salvation and the church and the last days. Mm. Amen. And thankfully, there are many folks out there, uh, to use my categories that I introduced uh, in the missions world and the counseling world who love theology. There's been a recovery in both of those disciplines, actually, of, of the central role of Scripture and of theology in those undertakings. So very thankful for that when you look back at historic uh, great missionaries of the faith, you know, uh, 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 Carrie and others, you're, you're face-to-face with strong theologians, Brainerd and others as yeah. well. Oh, and can I say one more thing? Please. I mean, let's just take the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are just the indicatives of theology. <laughs> the last three chapters are the practical imperatives of how to live the Christian life. But Paul has laid this out with uh, a logical sequence that everything starts with sound doctrine. Mm. Then you build your life upon that sound doctrine. Take the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters are, are sound doctrine. There's not even an imperative until chapter six. Mm -hmm. And then starting in chapter 12 is what we build our life upon, uh, the practical part. But you you, you do not put the practical first 
and then it's optional if you want theology. Right. That, that, that's ludicrous. That's not how the Christian life works. Mm. Uh, it begins with the mind. It begins with the truth of theology. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When we uh, spoke at a conference together in Houston for Richard Caldwell, you had a line. Sometimes you hear a line from a preacher. I know you've got these as a preacher. Um, And it just burns itself onto your brain. You said it wasn't even something you elaborated. I don't think I don't know that it was in your notes. Maybe it was. But you said the truth is like a razor. You said it like that. And I, I was listening to you. I was already wrapped because you are a passionate, engaging preacher. But that just, it got me. The truth is like a razor. Here's the thing, though, Dr. Lawson. A lot of the younger generation are, are embracing doubt in their theology. <laughs> you're, you're seeing this. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing this. And some of them mean well. They're, they're trying to account for, you know, the messiness of our lives. And, and we all have some mess in our lives, thanks to sin. But, but here's the thing. When I hear you speak about absolute truth and the ministry of truth, Dr. Sproul, others, Dr. Moeller, I, I, I'm hearing a strong assertion of the importance of saving faith, certainty, about who God is, who Christ is, uh, and our need for Christ. Is, is that an accurate assessment of you? It, it, absolutely. And faith is all about a confident, a, a, a confident hope in God and in the truths of God. And when we say hope, we don't mean wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. We, we mean an absolute certainty. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen, Hebrews 11, verse 1. First mm-hmm. uh, John 3:13. these things I write unto you that you may know mm-hmm. that you have eternal life. Uh, the most repeated word in the first John is that word know. It's that you would have an absolute rock-ribbed assurance about your faith. The Holy Spirit who convicts you of sin, calls you to faith in Christ, and regenerates you is the same Holy Spirit who gives assurance of salvation. I mean, Romans 8, 14 through 16 is abundantly clear on this. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the Spirit of God who gives assurance. And if you don't have the assurance of your salvation— then one of two things. One, it is possible for a Christian to have moments of doubt. But two, there may be um, a lack of real saving faith in your life to begin with Mm -hmm. because the Holy Spirit gives assurance of salvation. It doesn't come from the preacher. It doesn't come from the parent. It doesn't come from the evangelist. It's an inside job. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to bear witness to our heart. He's come into the world to convict men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And when he regenerates us, he doesn't move out. He stays in. He's the in-house counsel of God to press to our hearts the assurance of our salvation. There is nothing spiritual about a lack of assurance. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's just quite frankly unbelief. That does not honor and glorify God because unbelief calls God a liar because God has spoken in his word. And we have the reliability of scripture as well mm-hmm. to, to cast doubt upon the written word of God is, is to really say that God is not a truth teller, that God does not speak the truth. Mm-hmm. So that's a very serious offense to raise against God. I mean, Pilate said mockingly of Christ, uh, what is truth? Well, Jesus said he's come into the world to bear witness of the truth. Mm. Wow. Yeah. 
yeah, thinking about your comments there about uh, faithlessness. In John 20, 27, when Jesus is engaging doubting Thomas, he says, you look at it in the Greek, it's, it's not just do not, you know, uh, do not continue in your mild unbelief. It's do not be faithless. Yeah. You're literally, <laughs> faith is absent of this moment right now. And, uh, and we all do doubt. That is a natural thing uh, like we commonly hear today. But here's the deal. Doubt, I think, calls for repentance. Absolutely. It calls for repentance. It's not this middle category that's <laughs> neutral. Yeah. We got we to gotta get on our knees and say we're sorry about it. To yeah, God. Yeah. Well, and also faith is the gift of God. Yes. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Philippians 1, 29, it's been granted unto us not only to believe in his name, but also to suffer. It has to be granted to us to believe. Yeah. And the faith that God gives to us to believe is a strong, persevering faith. A believer will never become an unbeliever. It's absolutely impossible. The faith that God gives never implodes. It, it never vanishes. Uh, it may stumble and fall mm -hmm. and trip, but it will always persevere and keep on believing. Mm -hmm. Amen. Wow. Okay. Uh, I am ministered to and encouraged if no one else is, but they, they will be. They will be. We have faith in these things. Um, in, in our remaining time, we have just a few minutes uh, uh, this, this evening, but I just want to ask you how you came to do and to be the things you do and are. You are, as I said to you before we started recording, the most interesting man in evangelicalism. I, I don't know where to start talking about what you do. So, so in all seriousness, uh, you, you write, you speak all over the world. I'm following you in Ireland. You know, you're in, then you're in South America. Then you're back in Texas doing this Bible study. Then you're publishing a book. Then you're speaking for Ligonier. It, it, do you enjoy this life that God has given you? It certainly seems like you do. Oh, and I absolutely love it. I'm, I'm living the dream right now. Mm. If I could be anyone in church history, and you and I both love church history, mm -hmm. I would be George Whitfield. Mm. I would just be on a, a man on the go for God. Mm. And just preaching the Word of God in so many different venues and so many different places. Um, yes, I love what I do. I was a pastor for 34 years, mm -hmm. and I tearfully re had resigned my pastorate in order to do full-time what I'm doing now. Mm. But I'm allowed to be somewhat like the Apostle Paul in the sense that he traveled, he taught, he preached, he defended— he wrote. Mm. Um, and so I'm able to, in a much lesser way, to do all those different things. And I love the variety of what I do. I'm always with the best Christians wherever I go. Mm. I step off a plane and immediately here I am with you. And this is so engaging to have mm. adult conversation about the things of God. I'll mm. leave here and go to Dr. Jason Allen's house. I have more fellowship. I get to come back tomorrow, preach in chapel, meet mm. with doctoral students, mm -hmm. get on a plane, go to Dallas, teach my Bible study to men. Mm. It's live streamed around the world. Then I'll, I go straight to the airport, fly to Los Angeles, and I'm in a, a, a meeting uh, for the board of the Master's Seminary and University. Mm. But then I go to Grace Community Church and preach. Good then I night. get on a plane and fly to Cleveland, and I'll preach for Alistair Begg at his church. I'll preach in another church at Cleveland, go straight to the airport, fly to North Carolina, do a three-day conference on expository preaching, 
that number's already broken our records for numbers of pastors that will attend. Then I stay and do a pastor's, I mean, a, do a conference to preach Revelation 22 three times to people. So I, I get to do it all. And depending on who picks me up at the airport and who takes me back to the airport, I mean, or there's counseling, there's talking about the things of the Lord every step of the way. Uh, I just turned, I will turn in a manuscript. I just finished a manuscript two days ago for my next book on the new birth. And um, uh, that'll be officially turned in in a couple of days. So I, I, I get to do it all. Yes. Uh, and I am so thankful. Mm-hmm. I was just with Al Mohler. Mm. In two days, I'll be with John MacArthur. Mm. Uh, I'm here at your seminary today. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm living the dream. I was just in Northern Ireland preaching with Sinclair Ferguson, preaching with Derek Thomas, Michael Reeves. Um, I, I get to be with the best of the best. Mm. And so I, I'm deeply grateful. And I, I'm allowed to preach in in so many different places and, you know, there's kind of – there's a Baptist world. There's a Presbyterian world. There's an independent Bible church world. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I get to swim in all those different pools mm-hmm. and those parts of the body of Christ. And so I'm, I'm so enriched. Mm-hmm. I, I just came back from Indonesia and the Philippines. I preached for 25 days there. I preach so many times, I, I, I can't even remember how many times <laughs> that, that, I, that I preached. And so, oh, and I'm just thankful that God would allow me uh, to sprint to the finish here at the end and, mm. and not to die with bullets still in my gun, to be able to fire them all wherever I go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so elevating and so deepening and enriching. So mm-hmm. I'm thankful, and I, I'm learning from you, and I, I can't wait to devour these two books you've written that you've given to me. Thank you. Yeah, Jonathan Edwards. I mean, I, I need everything that's in this book in my head. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of it already is, I think. But um, yeah, and, and something that I, I pick out from the ministry of strong expositors, carefully chosen words, uh, this isn't an insight uh, unique to me, but is that they draw young men with apologies to our gender neutral age. I'd like to speak to specifically one sex here. Uh, We believe in the ministry of the whole body in different ways, but I just want to talk about preachers here because we know the word of God calls only men to be preachers. And what I see when I see a MacArthur, when I see a Moeller, I was one of them, a Dever, I trained under him. Uh, When you talk about these great figures in church history that you've written about in numerous books, they draw young men. Young Young men are drawn to conviction. And that's true, by the way, not just in Christianity. (laughs) Young men are looking for men of conviction to follow, good or bad. Yeah. You are drawing, uh, as I follow your ministry from afar, all sorts of young men who want to emulate you and be a preacher like you and serve Christ's church like you. What can you say today about the state of young men? Young men in general in the culture are struggling. We both know that. But what are you seeing that encourages you in your ministry to young men in particular? Yeah, I'm encouraged, Owen, as I see young men in their 20s and especially early 30s, that that block of 10 years, let's say, that there is a new generation that's emerging that want more, I think, than the last generation. Hmm. They're not satisfied with just bumper sticker answers to profound issues in theology. Mm -hmm. They want the full counsel of God. Mm -hmm. 
And so they are attracted to strong men, like you just mentioned, and they want to grow under those strong men until God launches them out on their own. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, some of these young men end up having um, weaker men for their mentors, and I think they are very much deprived of all that they could be in the grace of God, at least at this season in their life. And other men who are allowed to be either under other strong men, I think they just blossom. Mm. I'm always asked in conferences and Q&As, what is the one thing you would say to a young man who is considering going into the ministry or knows that he will end up in seminary? My, my across-the-board answer is always this, go sit under the strongest preacher that you can find. Whether it's in your town, whether you have to move and take another job and go to another part of the country, you need to be close to the fire. You need to see what it looks like, feels like, to see a man of God open the Word of God and preach the truth of God and the power of the Spirit of God. And you don't always just get that through a book or a tape, and you and I both do books and tapes, Mm -hmm. but to be there live— And just to even see his wife, his children, um, to see his family uh, functioning and in order, where you see a comprehensive picture of what it looks like to be a man of God. There's no substitute for that. And we often say it's more caught than it is taught. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm a big believer even in coming onto a campus like this and being Mm -hmm. around professors like you and these other men. You need to be in the arena, in the classroom, close to these men of God, but also to be under the preaching of the Word of God where it's coming with power and authority. Mm -hmm. And I know that's how it worked out in my life. It wasn't until I sat under the first expositor I ever sat under a strong Bible preacher that I realized that's it. That's what God's doing in my heart. Mm -hmm. That's what he's calling me to be. But I needed to see an incarnation of it, but I also needed to feel what what was going on in his life and in his heart because it's contagious. Mm -hmm. So I can't even hardly remember your question on that, but but we're, we're, we're in the basic train of thought, stream of thought, that with young men, they need to be under the strongest preachers who are who are theologically accurate. I'm yes. not talking about storytellers. I'm not talking about funny guys in the pulpit. Um, I'm not talking about quote unquote communicators. I, I, I'm talking about men who have nothing to say apart from the Word of God, mm-hmm. and who who preach the Bible, and and have a theological orientation to every message that they preach. They're they're extracting the doctrine out of this passage and teaching it to those and and showing the relevance of this in their lives. Wow. Love it. Love it. Uh, We're going to end on that note. Uh, I so appreciate your time. I appreciate your ministry immensely. It is a thriving ministry. Uh, The Lord is showering it with grace. So thank you so much for being here and for being on the podcast. Thank you, Owen. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. 
And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today.